Thank you for tuning in to the Parents Survival Podcast, from surviving to thriving in your household. My name is Gene Schwellen. With me, I have my beautiful bride, Dr. Sonia Schwellen, pediatric psychology expert and also nationally certified school psychologist. Today's episode is going to be uh, what we call a, a checkup from the neck up. What does that mean? What is a checkup from the neck up? Well, I think... Honestly, we need to talk about kind of how we were brainstorming this episode and what we were going to talk about, because um, it really led us into that little catchphrase. Let's go, you know, let's encourage people to get a, ne- a checkup from the neck there up. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <clears throat> well, when we were talking, I was, you know, I really wanted us to touch base on all the things that we're seeing with kids today. We're seeing depression, you know, skyrocketing, anxiety, uh, suicide ideation is through the roof. Um, through clinic, you're seeing clients that you're referring up to high levels of care daily. It seems like more times than not, uh, an assessment turns into not somebody that's even uh, appropriate for outpatient. They need to go to a high level of care. So um, there's so much going on in the world today. We've got school starting back. That's going to also be a catalyst for even more of this. I think we're going to see things get worse before they actually get better. Uh, but there are ways as parents we can kind of navigate this and kind of um, – I guess just take a proactive approach versus a reactive approach um, to what our kids are going through and experiencing. Right. And I, I remember when we were talking about this episode, you had, you had put the idea out there of, Hey, why don't, why don't we take, you know, some time and just talk about warning signs or how can you tell if your child might be depressed or um, have certain kinds of disorders? And my immediate response was, no, I don't really think that's a good idea because if we did that, you know, if we put out different warning signs for this disorder or that disorder, we may get um, we may get into the situation where honestly worried parents are just diagnosing their own children and maybe becoming concerned about something that is not even the case. Yeah, um, and we see that a lot. I mean, just the uh, and we see a lot of parents diagnosing their children. Um, and the kids may be experiencing something. It could be something like anxiety, um, but they're being labeled as ADHD. Um, it's kind of like, you know, going to WebMD, and I have this, uh, as Lee would say, um, I've got my piggy toe uh, swollen up, and it's hurting, and, and all of a sudden I've got cancer, you know, <laughs> from the WebMD you know, website and whatnot, you know, which is really accurate. We see teachers do this a lot as well, where they're diagnosing students and saying, well, your, stu- your kid has this, and... Uh, we even see a well, lot. I, d- I don't know that they're even saying your kid has this. They, they're they real subtle about it. I mean, I've used to work in the schools. I've seen some of that stuff happen where teachers might say, hey, have you ever thought about putting your child on medication? Or, you know, maybe you should go talk to the pediatrician because we're noticing some things about how they're functioning in the classroom. And, and that actually leads me to the whole conversation that parents tend to have with their pediatrician. Most parents are not in constant contact with their pediatrician. Usually parents are, are, you know, annually going to their pediatrician's office for that one-year checkup for their children, and that may be the extent of the amount of interaction a pediatrician has with, with a family or with that child. And so often what you just said is we're seeing so, so many times where maybe a child really has anxiety, but they're being, you know, diagnosed with ADHD. Um, We see that happening at the pediatrician's office or at other providers' offices who may only spend, you know, one appointment a year with a client. And that appointment is usually only 30 minutes to an hour long. 
Um, and all of a sudden, there's all these um, just consequences for that appointment. Maybe they get a diagnosis or a label. Maybe they're being perceived a certain way now at the schools or by their families. And then it may even lead them down the road of being prescribed medications that they may not need. And I'm not I'm not for or against medication. I really believe that um, multi you know, multi-layered treatment is the best, um, the best approach. So, you know, families and individuals who seek out therapy may benefit from medication. I'm not saying that they wouldn't, but I am saying, you know, there is a time and a place for everything and to make decisions with data to drive that treatment is so, so important. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit further. So, um, one thing that that I've that we have seen in the clinic is that we have kids coming in with ADHD diagnosis from a pediatrician or a PCP. Um, they're already on medication, and more times than not, and, and I mean that more times than not, uh, which means more than fifty percent of the time, um, kids end up not even actually having ADHD after they've gone through our proper psychological assessment with one of our very uh, highly trained uh, psychologists. So, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean. Just to emphasize the more times than not, I I honestly would say that, you know, out of 10 ADHD assessments that I do, so that's the parent calling in saying that maybe they had a diagnosis from the, from the maybe the teacher's wanting to know if they have ADHD or a, a, a pediatrician is, you know, wanting more information or the parents themselves are calling in and, and they believe their child has an attention deficit. Um it's usually maybe out of 10 assessments that I do with that referral question that really only about two of them end up having ADHD. That's phenomenal. Let's, let's talk about an assessment and what that really looks like. Cause I know, um, pediatricians, uh, and I'll let you speak to like the schooling and what that looks like and how much uh, exposure a, a, pe- a pediatrician or a PCP would actually have in the mental health field. Um, but I want to talk about the actual assessment, what that looks like. Uh, you know, are we strapping kids down and, and putting wires all <laughs> over them and whatnot? You know, I know that pediatricians actually, you know, they may do a screener question. I mean, there's screeners you can find on the Internet, even as parents. And you can give a quick screener to your kids and get the answers. And, and, and there's, you know, scoring tools online as well. And my kid now has ODD or this or that and whatnot, right? So what does an actual assessment look like, whether it's for a kid or an adult? What does it look like? Well, I just want to put it out there. Like when you go to Dr. Google, kind of what Lee said earlier is all roads lead to cancer, right? There are absolutely those screeners out there where if, um, you know, you say yes to maybe one, two, three questions out of 15, you could potentially have a disorder, okay? And so it is so, so important that parents are not out there trying to diagnose their child or getting overly concerned about, you know, certain symptoms they're seeing in their child and thinking, oh my goodness, it's this, I just know it, okay? That's so important. So getting in front of a professional and getting that assistance is just, it's just key because my heart breaks, and I can't tell you how often I've seen this happen, when a child is pathologized and labeled incorrectly, and then they're set up, you know, at school and for years to come to be treated differently or underestimated because they have a certain label, okay? That may not even be accurate. Right, and that's like that is one of my biggest just... I can get on a soapbox for it forever. 
Um, the other reason my heart breaks is when I see children who are placed on um, mental straitjackets. You know, they're taking medication cocktails um, that are just unbelievable. And I see it all the time where maybe parents went to several different providers. Those providers aren't communicating. Um, the medicines were prescribed and children who are still developing, they're still young, they still have room to grow, are being put on these chemical straitjackets um, sometimes when it's not even indicated. And it worries me. And so that's why I preach nonstop to our staff and to our clients that we cannot make decisions about what the appropriate treatment is until we have the data to support those decisions. So let's talk about medication really quick before you dive into the actual data, the multi-leveled and layered data, because it's not just one measure a PCP can do or a pediatrician can do in the office real quick. Um, you, know, you mentioned you're not for or against medication, but medication can be appropriate. It can be a benefit in certain situations. Um, but it's really understanding from what I'm hearing, it's really understanding when it's indicated. Um, when clients call up, there's a lot of times that, first of all, clients don't really understand the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Uh, we hear that all the time. Uh, clients are calling in sometimes specifically for medication when they haven't even seen someone that, you know, they just they had a friend that said, my kid's on this, or I've, my, you know, my, my brother takes this, and I think I'd benefit from this. Um, and it sounds good, right? Um, so how do we figure out when medication is appropriate? Is that where the assessment comes in? So the assessment comes in for a lot of reasons. Medication, again, is just one piece of treatment. So the assessment can definitely inform the medical management of symptoms as, as well as inform the psychotherapeutic interventions to manage those symptoms and the different types of steps that a child needs to take at school or at home to manage symptoms across settings. So the assessment encompasses all of that. Um, I love it when parents, you know, come in for an assessment and then they are um, providing release of information so that I can communicate with their medical prescribers so that, because, you know, I don't prescribe medication as a psychologist, so the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist, um, there's a couple differences. You know, the psychiatrist has a medical um uh, training and a medical degree. A psychologist usually has a PhD or a PsyD, but some doctoral level degree in psychology. We don't practice medicine, we practice behavioral health. Um, and so, you know, we're all about emotions and how you're feeling and looking at patterns and understanding what's keeping something, you know, happening in someone's life and keeping them from, you know, making those changes and helping them actually transform and, and, um, realize their full potential. So um, absolutely therapy, psychology, and psychiatry can go hand in hand for individuals. And so I love it when parents, you know, allow that collaboration to happen, when we can talk to the prescribing provider and we can say, you know, I love that you're part of the team. Here's what we're seeing with this child. Here's what we know about the family. We spend hours and hours with them. We have psychological assessment data to back this up. Um, at this time, we do feel like maybe we need you as part of the team. You know, let's work together. And from my experience, um, psychiatrists love having us as a part of the team. 
They're very open to having us be a part of that team. They love that we have, you know, full assessment data to give to them and share with them. Um, it's just a much more collaborative approach. And, and it, you know, it really does take a village, especially when we're talking about kids. Let's talk about the actual assessment. So um, what does it look like? What should I expect as a parent to bring my kid in for assessment? Um, I know when we go see a pediatrician, a lot of them are still wearing their lab coats and whatnot and um, stethoscope. So what does it look like to go see a psychologist and to actually have an assessment, that checkup for the neck up? Okay. Yeah, so it's definitely not being strapped down and, you know, attached to a bunch of wires and getting brain stimulation or anything like that. That is not what a psychological assessment is at all. I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of people envision that. Um, like the first thing that goes through their head is, you know, what's going to happen to me that day? So really just, you know, to give people an idea of what to expect, an assessment, um, you, you'll get to the office, you'll check in at the front desk, you might have a seat in the waiting room, just like at any other office, um, and then the psychologist will come out to get you. Usually in a child assessment, they want to meet with the parents um, in addition to meeting with the child. And then depending on the age of the child, um, they may also ask the parents to leave the room so they can speak to the child alone. In general, it's just a lot of talking. Um, there's a ton of talking that happens. Um, psychologists will take time, hours in an assessment to really understand the reason for what's bringing them, the family in that day. Um, they want to understand the history of that child and that family um, and then really uh, work to um, use all of that information in conjunction with objective data to formulate diagnostic impressions. Okay, so I know I sound very clinical right now, but I'm going to break that down and, and just make this really easy to understand. So a psychological assessment is much more than just that interview piece, you know, gathering the information. It's also the use... Um, it includes the use of different psychological assessment measures. And what that means is it's just a form that you're going to be asked to fill out, okay? And you may be asked to fill out several of these forms. These big questionnaires, basically. Yeah, pretty. Some are long, some are short, but they're just questionnaires. Many of them take survey format of, you know, um, read this question and then determine how much it applies to you. So you might be answering um, never, often, sometimes, always as the responses. It's multiple choice, and you just go down and you answer. Um, there's also a component of psychological testing that happens. So instead of just filling out a questionnaire that really looks at different symptoms and different things about someone's personality um, or experiences, uh, testing is actually for the most part, one-on-one, -on -one, either with a computer or with the psychologist themselves. And the psychologist will pull out lots of materials and um, sit down across your child at a table for several hours. Flip charts. Uh -huh. and Flip charts, easels, different things that, you know, they're going to be using. And they can test for all different kinds of things. Um, so testing can be cognitive testing where, you know, they may be checking to see what your child's IQ is and using that to help support maybe a diagnosis of a learning disability or intellectual disability. They might be testing just achievement. So this is stuff your child is very familiar with. It's things like math and reading and written expression or spelling. Um, it just depends on what the question is. 
Um, other types of testing that happen, um, especially at our clinic, are autism testing. So there's materials that we use with the child. A lot of it looks like we're just playing with your child. You know, it's a lot of toys that we might bring out, but there's a science behind it. Every single test and psychological questionnaire that we use has been normed and validated in a very statistical way. And there's usually a lot of research to back up the effectiveness of these tests. Um, many of them have been normed on populations that, you know, we're actually using the test for. So, if, you know, if your child's an eight-year-old female, you know, we're going to have a way to compare her scores to other eight-year-old little girls without depression and, and kind of see where she measures up so that we can understand, are these depressive symptoms in the clinical range? Are they elevated enough that we need hospitalization or a higher level of care? Or is it something that we can treat outpatient? My, one of my favorite parts about the psychological assessment, you know, it's not only just spending time with a family. Um, we're not really, you know, it's not something that we're going to rush through. Uh, that appointment can be anywhere from two to four, sometimes more hours, just depending on the type of testing that we're doing. Well, let's let's talk about that really quick also. Um, so you mentioned developmental assessment, you know, looking at cognitive and, and different types of um, measures that can be done. Um, so as a parent, if I have kids that, you know, we talk about the, the checkup for the neck up. So when we go to a doctor's office for an annual checkup, we may be there for an hour and a half to two hours because we're probably half that time, if not more, is waiting in the in the, in the waiting room, which you don't have that at, at our clinic, but um, that's pretty normal at a doctor's office. But out of that two, two and a half hours, if, if I'm bringing my kids in, if I don't have, you know, my kids, I don't, you know, they do well in school. They don't have any issues. What's a normal assessment? If I want to look at are there depressive, <coughs> depressive symptoms, are there anxiety symptoms, are there, is, there, is there this or that? you know, what does that time frame look like? And I know it can still vary, but what's the normal type of time frame? Um, and, and to be clear also, just because I'm married to a brilliant psychologist, I do also know the importance of, this, of the assessment is not just to determine what may be presenting, but also ruling out things that are not being presented. So we have a clear indication of exactly what our kid is really experiencing. And that gives us all the information we need to take the proper action which may or may not include medication depending on, uh, you know, what's recommended. Yeah, so so all the assessment happens, right? All that testing, all that data is collected along with that interview that I told you about, and it just depends on what that referral question is, right? And then we're able to look at everything and create diagnostic impressions from there. Um, there's a lot of interpretation that occurs, you know, that really only a trained psychological professional can do with these tests and understand what that really means for the person and how they're functioning on a day-to-day -day basis. And then from there, those recommendations are made. And so um, without, without that data, it's really difficult, like you said, to rule things out. So I, I always say, you know, the power to diagnose is also the power to undiagnose or remove inaccurate diagnoses or whatever we may be dealing with. And you're right. There's a lot of times where parents will call in and they're not really they're not really reporting, you know, they're telling us what their perception is. 
right? And then the assessment actually uncovers more or less or, something I mean, different. I've, yeah, completely something different. And I've even had times where I've had to sit down with parents and say, you know, actually your child's just kind of stressed out right now and this isn't something to pathologize them for. They're, they're not really meeting criteria for an, a, a full-blown disorder. There's just some work we need to do in the parent-child relationship or in the family functioning. Let's start therapy. Other times, um, I've had to sit down with families or adults because we do assessments for adults too. But, you know, I know we're talking about parenting and, and how to figure out what's going on with your child. And I've said, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, this, this, and this. And I, I might say something like, okay, on, on the anxiety scale, your child is um, maybe showing up to have um, a large amount of social anxiety. Did you know that your child is in fear of being negatively evaluated by peers? They're avoiding um, social interaction as much as possible. They tend to also have a lot of rigidity. They're struggling with flexibility. So if schedule changes, they may really have a hard time with that. Um, it also looks like they're having some separation issues and even just general anxiety where they're kind of worried about everything under the sun. Um, and parents so often will say, how did you figure all that out about my child so quickly? You know, well, that's, like, the that's exactly thing. what's happening, you know, or, or yeah, we didn't even talk about that. And your psychological questioners actually uncover that because we forgot to say that, or we didn't think it was that much of an issue because we've been compensating for it their whole life. So we just didn't even remember to talk about it. Well, and there's also another important component that I think we need to talk about as well is that as an adult, it's very hard for people to really articulate really what is going on, even for themselves. I mean, if I were to go get therapy, even with a brilliant doctor next to me, um, or say I've got this going on, it would it would literally take probably weeks, if not months, for me to really to be able to open up and communicate exactly what's going on, provide enough information in different ways in different areas to be able to have a trained expert as a therapist say, you know what, I really think you're dealing with this. Um, because we have a lot of clients that do look at or, or, or come into the clinic and say, well, we've been seeing a therapist for our kid for, for years, and they said this, and, and it's really not even that at all because how much is the kid opening up? How can you really communicate really what's going on? Are you communicating it correctly? Because um, we talk about ADHD and, and anxiety a lot of times too. A lot of parents are, are, are getting you know their children medicated for ADHD, and it's not even ADHD at all. When you do your assessment, we find out it's really anxiety, um, so I think that's a big, a big part of not being able to communicate really what's going on, uh, where these measures can really uncover that very quickly. Yep. And so from a very clinical perspective, that's called the differential diagnosis. So to know the difference is, is, um, it's like walking a fine line. And so just in therapy, for example, without the assessment data, like you said, it could take weeks, months, sometimes clients are in therapy for years and then they come and get an assessment and they've never had anyone talk to them about the things that are showing up in an assessment. I'll give you an example. I had a client once who um, had, had been in therapy. She was actually an adult client, but she had been in therapy several times with several different therapists. And she actually moved to Texas and called our office and I started seeing her. Um, and she told me, you know, I've had several therapists and I tend to only last with them just a few months at a time. 
because over and over, I just feel like we're getting nowhere. And a lot of it had to do with her not knowing even how to talk about her stuff. You know, part of going to therapy is building up your personal insight, knowing yourself well and being able to reflect on, hmm, I do do that when I'm stressed or I did act that way when I was upset in my relationship or whatever it is. So being able to, you know, it it takes a lot of courage and bravery to even self-reflect that way. Um, And so she was really struggling with that. We did the assessment and this was, I was, I was going to say earlier, you know, my favorite parts of the assessment is actually sitting down after it's over. Like the data has been collected, all the interpretation of the results and the recommendations have been made you know, which sometimes can be uh, a one to two week process, you know, because we're really taking our time with everything. And then being able to provide feedback. So that feedback is like so important for the families and for the children and for all the clients, because I was able to say to this client, has anyone ever worked on your perfectionism with you? Because it's keeping you stuck. I can see that from the assessment data. You have high amounts of just rigidity, perfectionism, this desire to like get everything right. Otherwise, you think yourself a failure, this all or nothing mindset. And it's really affecting like everything in terms of daily functioning, you know, your your approach to work, your approach to your relationships. She was like, never once has perfectionism come up in therapy sessions before. And you were able to see all of that in just a two to three hour meeting with me, you know, and I said, this is going to be fun. We got a lot to work on, you know, and, and it was just all right there, all on the table. And we made a lot of progress in a much shorter time than she was ever used to. That's amazing. That's when, that's when lives really truly start to change. Um, When they have that trust, that confidence, even that this is real and whatnot, um, so I think it's very important for parents to really understand, like, especially, you know, during this pandemic, it's been going on for a long time. We're getting back to school. School is a little bit different. We're going twice a week versus five days a week. We're doing virtual to begin with. We're wearing masks. We're not wearing masks. Teachers are all wearing masks. I mean, this is weird stuff. I mean, it, it's crazy. And I hate to say that word on, a, on, on this type of show, but <laughs> it's crazy. So, um, Parents need to be really be more aware of, of, you know, kind of what's going on with their kids. And let's, let's, let's be honest, too. As kids get older, you know, we've got a 17-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 2-year-old, and a 1-year-old. Um, our 17-year-old's not going to tell us everything they're feeling and whatnot. They're going to hide things from us. They're not going to let everything out. Um, and we see that all the time in clinic also. Parents think this or that or, you know, parents are assuming this or they're just being selfish or um, they're just looking for attention, they're attention starved or whatever the case may be. And they come in for the assessment and parents are thinking, and they're just putting on a show for attention. And all of a sudden, they need to go to a high level of care now. So let's talk about that for a minute, uh, the importance of getting this, you know, check up for the neck up and really helping our kids more. Well, you know, the assessment really drives the treatment plan in our clinic. That's just how we do things. And so um, being able to talk and with and, and build empathy in our parents, you know, is, is such a huge part of my job. Um, a lot of time, like you said, frustration is high. Communication has broken down. And, you know, maybe a child is not opening up to their parents. That's really normal, especially with teenagers um, and how busy our lives are these days. 
And so putting them in front of a psychologist and getting that checkup from the neck up, you know, and doing the assessment can really help us understand, you know, this, this really isn't for attention. This is actually a cry for help. Um, and maybe their safety is at stake at this point. And then we would walk the parents through very, very carefully and, um, in, you know, hand, hand in hand, really. We were strong believers at our clinic in walking parents through navigating the mental health field. We know that it's hard to know where to go with things, and things can be very overwhelming. So we will literally call, you know, the place that we're referring to, um, on speakerphone with the parent in the room and say, hey, let's all talk together. They came here. I'm thinking it's not a good fit right now because things are more serious than what we can cover in outpatient. Can we talk with the family right here on speakerphone with you about what it would be like at your clinic? And then we'll we'll do what we need to do to get them set up with the appropriate level of care. Now, the other thing that I want to talk about, because we've said it many times, is you know, parents so often hear from teachers or from physicians that their child has ADHD. And I mentioned earlier, you know, actually it's like two out of 10 assessments that I'll do that actually end up being a confirmed case of ADHD. A lot of the other times it's anxiety, but it's also depression, or it could just be a parent-child interaction type of thing that's happening. Um, and so the reason I want to rebring that up is because it's not always just you know, misunderstanding your child to the point where it's too late now and you have to take them to the hospital for their safety, but also misunderstanding what you might be seeing. So symptoms of different disorders look the same. They can be the same. So someone who's depressed, someone who's anxious, and someone who has an attention deficit are all most likely to be forgetful, um, have concentration difficulty, maybe have trouble with procrastination, maybe have issues with task completion, okay? Because from an emotional standpoint, mood also impacts the amount of space we have and the amount of bandwidth we have to function. And so if you were to take an ADHD questionnaire, like one of those free ones online, all roads, right? All roads would point to ADHD, when really it could just be unmanaged depression or anxiety, for example. Okay, there's a lot of other things it could be also. So that assessment is so important before just labeling and starting to treat, especially if you're going the medication route, because you may have ended up putting your child on medication that they didn't even really need. And that makes perfect sense. And one thing that also is important to understand from a child perspective when you're doing assessments is that you mentioned it earlier, it takes a village to make a difference. Um, you know, kids are influenced by uh, home life, parents, siblings, um, even immediate family or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, family members, grandparents and whatnot. Um, there's, of course, the social aspect of kids and how they're impacted socially. And then you have the school aspect. So, um do you guys look at all those things in clinic for the assessment to, to really kind of evaluate the entire, you know, village and, and what may be affected? Because kids, sometimes we hear they may be affected more in the, they may, parents may be seeing more signs at home, but they don't have any of those signs <coughs> at school or in their social life, or it could be vice versa. Teachers are seeing all of this, but at home they're, they're normal. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, so that's absolutely a real life occurrence. 
And so a part of that assessment is we take a very um, wraparound approach as child psychologists. You know, we're trained in doing that where where we might have um, the child fill out certain questionnaires for us. The parent's going to do the same thing about that child's social, emotional, behavioral presentation at home. And then we're going to ask for teacher information so we can get the teachers involved. And so we're able to send these types of questionnaires to teachers as well so we can get a picture of what it's like in the classroom. Um, Some of us even like to invite ourselves over and go to the schools. You know, can we be a part of, you know, the the Section 504 or the ARD meetings, which is a whole nother conversation later on a different episode of podcast? Um, Or can we even come into the classroom and do an observation or whatever it may be? And so if we feel like we need that level of understanding, there are psychologists that will go that extra level and do that. Um, but we absolutely want that wraparound approach. Yeah, that's, that's good to know. So I, I really want to drive home um, the importance of the checkup for the neck up. Um, because if I would have known this years ago, then I would have, you know, been more proactive as a dad. Um, you know, we, we go to the medical doctor, and that's important. We have to make sure all of our kids have all their shots. They can't even go to, the sco- go to school without their shots, right? So we have to make sure that all these things are done medically, but how important is it mentally? I mean, our mental well-being affects our physical and medical well-being all the time, hands down, right? I mean, um, so mental health is just as important as medical health. Um, and you can even build a case in some ways that mental health can actually be more important in some ways because mental health does affect medical health. You know, so if your mental health is not good, it can affect you medically, right? And we see that also in clinics. So, um I think it's important really for parents to understand, especially in today's age, with social media, with access to the Internet. um, Most of our kids know how to maneuver apps and websites way better than we can ever do. Um, We can have those apps that kind of screen things and whatnot. And I don't want to get too too much involved with social media and whatnot, but um, we see kids as as young. In fact, there's research that shows that, that most kids, the average age kids, actually are exposed to pornography, as an example, is as early as age seven, based on research. Mm-hmm. That is mind-boggling to me. Um, and so there's also tops, all kinds of research on sexting and, and what age that starts, which is like early, like middle school years. And are our kids really telling us this? Are they going to come home and say, well, Johnny said this to me via text or what? A lot of times the answer is no, because um, they are scared. They don't want the social intervention and whatnot. Is that kind of stuff, is that something that we also can see through an assessment, like a, that, that annual checkup for the neck up type of thing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff is um, discussed in an assessment. So, but that, you know, that's that moment where we might ask the parents to leave and then we'll check in with kids. So we're very, very careful about how we do that. We're very sensitive to, you know, just how different it is for a child to even have a conversation like that with an adult. But we do check in on, you know, hey, how are things going with your friends? Are you in any romantic relationships? Um, are you feeling any pressure from your peers to do things that maybe you're not comfortable with? There are ways that we can open up that conversation with our clients. Um, a lot of the time we tell, I mean, at, not a lot of the time, every single time we tell the families and the children, like everything we talk about is confidential. In the case of a psychological assessment, I'm going to tell a kid right away, Everything that we talk about is actually going to be written up. And if your parents want to see this report, they're going to be able to see everything you told me. Um, But we can talk about certain things. 
And I have actually found with just being so upfront about things, kids still tell me um, Everything. much more. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're actually able to do a lot with that in the family sessions and in the work going forward. Well, and I think, you know, I think kids feel protected still in that, in that sense. Um, and I think if we're really being honest as well, I think our kids really want us to know. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how to tell us because dad's going to freak out. Mom's going to cry. And what are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, cause that's how, that's how, that's, that's how they know us. They see everything. Um, and, and not only that, but sometimes we're just too busy for our kids. We talked about in our last episode, uh, really talking about the parents and self-care and all that stuff. You know, we are too busy as parents sometimes to really notice things or understand, and we don't see anything or notice anything or realize anything until it has hit the fan, and now things are really bad and whatnot. So, Yeah, and so that, that check up from the neck up, you know, being proactive, calling, you know, calling your the offices of, of Next Steps or any professional in your area and just getting some insight from that a data perspective can be so helpful in being proactive and not being reactive. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate everyone joining in today for the episode, The Parents Survival Kit from Surviving to Thriving. Check it from the neck up. You got to get it done. Uh, it, it's important. Um, so go out there and make it happen. If you do have questions, you can reach out to us directly, even for a consult. Uh, Again, we look forward to seeing you next week. Y'all have a great day.